Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting to Kara Leopold from Leo Listening. Kara is an English listening skills specialist who runs a movie club which helps professionals around the world chat to fast-talking English speakers over coffee in a way to improve their listening and speaking skills using movies as the primary tool. This is a really cool initiative that helps professionals go from a kind of business language in English to uh, a more casual use of the language outside of the workplace. We also talk about the expat experience. Kara's been living in France for uh, many years now, 16 years, and we chat about her initial experience learning French from the UK and also moving abroad, the kind of culture shock you might experience and how it was to integrate into a new society. Speaking of listening skills, uh, don't forget you can check out the actual fluency bite-sized language courses, which are available in six languages for beginners to improve your listening skills through practical and easy-to-follow dialogues. So you just uh, turn them on and you listen uh, a million times if you can, and you will get a better pronunciation and a better vocabulary and a better understanding of the language you're learning. So check them out on actualfluency.com. If you're interested in joining the movie club from Kara, you should go check out leo-listening.com, which is our main website, to see when the next enrollment is running. All right, Kara, welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me on the Actual Fluency Podcast. It's exciting to talk to you today, and we're going to be covering many areas, including how to learn a language when you move to a new country how to integrate and assimilate uh, with that language, and also how we can improve our listening skills and, and language skills in general. So before we get into all that juicy material, uh, do you want to just tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what your experience with languages were, and, and how you ended up in France? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm Hara, and I have a website called Leo Listening, where I help English learners learn through through movies and improve their listening skills. And um, yeah, so before before I left the UK, I started learning France. I started learning France. I started learning French before I left the UK to come to France. That's what I was thinking of. I, I learned French, as many people do at school. So that started for me way back in 1997. And the particularity of it for me was that I arrived at secondary school part of the way through the year because um, that year my family moved from Scotland to England and in fact maybe people don't know this but the education systems are actually slightly different even though um, we're on the same island and technically in the same country but <laughs> Scotland and England are two different nations with um, some different ways of organizing things so I was dropped into um, secondary school from primary in May 97 um, which was an interesting time in the UK because Labour had just been voted back into power just for the general context I don't know why that came to mind and yeah I suddenly had to start learning French most of the year had passed and I was just dropped into it and I had to start learning and I got really lucky because I really enjoyed it and was quite good at it and so even though I only had what 
three months of lessons, May, June, July, because schools break up in England um, in July. I did well in the exams and they put me in the top group the following year. And then I was able to start learning German. So that was really cool because, you know, I could have been destined to failure, you know, like I, <laughs> I arrive with just a few weeks of term left and I have to like cram all the stuff that everyone has learned um, during the, the rest of the school year. And then I suppose German was a bit like that because, um, yeah, again, I started a year later than everybody else. But um, yeah, I discovered that I loved learning languages, even though no one in my no one in my family was really into that or you know among my friends um they I guess they didn't really care too much um about learning languages and of course you know you've lived in the UK you know what people are like sort of on a wider societal level nobody really cares either so um I was going against the prevailing currents the prevailing winds um, as a kid but I had found something that I I liked and uh, that I was good at so I was motivated to continue and continue I did um, I studied French at university with linguistics and I also studied teaching English as a foreign language and then after my studies so this is 2007 again I got lucky and I had an opportunity to move to France and that was thanks to a, a bilateral agreement that my university had with the university in the town where I still live, Besançon, which is in the east of France, near the Swiss border. So um, they would send us French teachers, <laughs> teachers with like air quotes, because they're often, you know, when I arrived to teach English, I had no experience and not much in the way of qualifications. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire both in terms of um, integrating into a French university and discovering what that was like. The answer is quite different to a British university. And then, of course, integrating into French life. But the good part was that I spoke French and I was very motivated to come to France and continue improving my, my French. I thought this would be a good way to do it. Why not move? And I'm still here 16 years later. So that's the story. That's the scoop. Nice. And, and you know, speaking of uh, languages in the UK, that's kind of unusual. You know, most people don't see that success, or especially early on, which I guess means they don't have the success later on either. But coming out of, you know, primary school, very few people will speak any <laughs> foreign language, you know, to any degree, basically. Mm, uh, so well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I spoke... I spoke none and then suddenly I was dropped into you know secondary secondary school and uh, yeah I think I think it helped that it, I was good at it for whatever reason you know I think that can can really build your motivation so I, I think I got lucky in that respect because if I hadn't enjoyed hadn't have enjoyed it and if I hadn't have been good in it good at it then you know maybe I just would have been meh like everybody else yeah which is a which is a shame, of course, that that is the kind of default. Yeah, default. Yeah, <laughs> but, but to be fair, it, that is kind of the the global thing. I think unless your country has uh, many languages within the same community, then I think your your country typically has one language, two languages. You know, being especially if you're in an English speaking country, I think it's 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 
it's the standard, unfortunately. Um, but but you broke the mold. You uh, you went and you uh, you succeeded, and then you went to to France. So tell us about that kind of. I mean, they call it expats. You know, we're moving abroad. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that expat experience of uh, you know coming down with uh, you know probably a, a pretty good level uh, by now. But uh, what was that like, and and how did you feel in in the beginning? Yeah, it was very um, eye-opening because before that I had spent some extended periods in France, like five, six weeks um, going to a language school and staying with host families. And after those experiences, I thought, okay, this is really cool. Um, I can see how beneficial it's been even just for a few weeks to be immersed in French, in French all day. I need to get back here. So um, I was really excited to be there. But of course, you know, when you actually make uh, a, a bigger move, not just for sort of a short term trip, it, it is quite different because all of a sudden I had to deal with, um, you know, finding somewhere to live. I had a job lined up, so that was good. But then you have to adapt uh, to the job. And like I say, I discovered because I'd never I didn't do any study abroad programs when I was at uni. I just really wanted this job where I would go to France after like I didn't want to go to France for a year and then come back to the UK like I wanted to leave the UK I was really um desperate to leave Britain and go somewhere else so there was also that as well there was kind of a push-pull thing going on and um but yeah when I when I arrived in the university environment I saw how different it was it's probably a bit naive to assume it would be like in the UK but yeah because I'd never done study abroad I had no clue um so that was quite different because you think well it's the country next door like how different can it be but obviously <laughs> it is um it, it is a different country and um things things function differently and um yeah you know France is one of the like my partner goes on about this all the time he's French and he's like you know c'est un pays latin so you know like France Spain Italy Portugal you know these are the countries the sort of Latin countries, as they call themselves, and they do have quite similar cu cultures, um, you know, that are different to Anglo-Saxon culture, as they so lovingly call it. Vous les Anglo-Saxons? I'm like, I'm not Anglo-Saxon, I'm Celtic. <laughs> I'm Scottish. Hello. I'm Celtic, man. Um, yeah, so you start to appreciate that kind of thing very, very quickly. Um so yeah, it was a brilliant, you know, adventure and realization of a dream, but it also it also came with um, a lot of challenges and a lot of adaptation. But yeah, I was lucky that um, I think by the time I arrived in France, I'm, I was at the level where I could basically say what I wanted, communicate what I wanted, but it maybe wasn't very idiomatic. So I wanted to just make it more idiomatic. You know, like it's good to be resourceful and to use what you know to communicate what you need. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to take it further than that. Yeah. Did you have any kind of, I don't know, challenges or in the beginning when you were like uh, in terms of connecting with people, uh, making friends and I guess living in, in the place that you've moved to? Um, and how did the language help or, or sometimes uh, stand in your way when you there were some things you couldn't do? Yeah, so I actually had a lot of wild things happen in the first year. So not long after we moved into our apartment, I 
found a really cool apartment. It was me. I found the advert in the paper. Thank you. And um, it was a par- an apartment with three rooms. So two of my colleagues, English speaking teachers, we all moved in together because the apartment was so perfect, even though I wanted to live with French speakers. But that came afterwards because I stayed on in that apartment and found new flatmates. But um, yeah, not long after we moved in, um, like there was water coming through the ceiling from the apartment above. So that was a fun saga that never actually got resolved when I was living there because (laughs) so the apartment above was rented by this like dodgy guy who just was renting a cheap apartment to students for the money and for whatever reason this drip 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 from the ceiling would happen every time the tenant above had a shower so um that's quite frequently because people like to wash themselves obviously um I'm not against that and so that was (laughs) not that yeah this is the kind of stuff that yeah you have to deal with it and you've never dealt with it in a foreign language and you start learning lots of words to do with leaks and insurance (laughs) so I was had to phone the insurance company I had to deal with the neighbor above and it was a bit awkward because I think my neighbor fancied me so it was a kind of that was also weird and his shower was leaking into our apartment um and yeah so hilarious stuff now looking back but kind of annoying at the time um and yeah eventually our apartment got broken into one time when we were having this massive party probably shouldn't have had such a huge party that attracted so much attention but um again so that was something else to deal with my flatmates got to go out in a police car looking for the guys who broke in I didn't even know they had gone out in a police car because there was just so many people and it was just chaos. So that was yeah another um, ad- adventure in the first year. Um, so all kinds of crazy stuff like that happened, which was kind of cool. And then and then there was just adapting to like I say, um, working in a French university. So the sort of thing that would happen is the students would come up to me at the end of class and be like, oh, Madame, Madame, and then they would explain this like long you know thing to me about but about something I didn't understand so it, it was maybe I don't know something university specific like the fact that um if you're at a French uni and you get a grant because there are I don't know if it's still true now but there were students who would get a grant but they had to like attend all the lessons so it was probably some story about how I can't attend all the lessons, but you need to mark me present so that I can get my grant or, you know, you know, whatever thing, you know, people ask you for when you're a teacher and that's sort of like, oh, madame, madame, uh, you know, that's like a real kind of, you know, warning. I'm going to ask you something. And yeah, it was hard in the beginning because I didn't always know what they were on about because uh, <laughs> I just didn't know how the university functioned administratively or um culturally or or whatever but you obviously learn these things very quickly mm. um and it was fun to meet the sort of cast of characters at the uni as well um we used to have a really amazing woman at, at the reception and people who got on with her well would call her coco and she was so funny like the way she would answer the phone and talk to the students and yeah, it was hilarious, hilarious. This woman who just like, she seemed to live on cigarettes. Like she didn't eat anything. She just smoked all the time um, and would wear a lot of makeup, would be caked with like um, fond de teint foundation, but like really orange foundation. Yeah, amazing character. So 
yeah, I mean, there's just so many stories from from that period, and obviously things from then stand out a bit more because now I've lived here so long. Stuff that happens is just my life, so mm. it's not really living in France. It's just life. So I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't have that sort of shock factor anymore sure. after a while. But in the beginning, I, I guess it it was a little bit like that. Yeah, but I'm so I'm so I was so happy here. Even when the shitty things happened, I didn't care. If I had been in the UK and dealing with the same stuff, it would have just sent me further and further down into like, I hate this country. I want to leave. I hate people. I hate everyone. I hate, you know, I think <laughs> whereas here it was like, okay, I can handle this because I'm just so happy to be here that I'm not going to let it get me down and I'm just going to get on with it because I love being here. And so throw problems at me, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> right. And one of the biggest problems, of course, is uh, a lot of expats. Uh, it's it's become very popular in the last, let's say, 10 years to move abroad. Uh, mm. And uh, because of the remote work kind of boom mm. and, and, and new kind of ways of working have opened up the doors for uh, geographic freedom for many people. And, and so they're moving to, to countries that have a, a different language. And that can be challenging. Um, we talk about that on the podcast here quite a lot. Uh, but I'm curious to, to hear what your kind of advice would be for someone. Let's say someone is going quite soon. You know, they maybe their mm -hmm. partner got a new job or they got a job uh, out of the blue and they have to go next month, next week, whatever. And, and then maybe contrast that with someone who has time to prepare uh, maybe a, a year or 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 something like that what we can do because i i found it very difficult myself i moved i lived abroad uh three times mm -hmm. uh, one time was in the uk so that was uh manageable i i, I although funnily enough and this is somewhat related to um to kind of what you work with uh, on on the uh on, on the listening this idea of idiomatic speech right and mm. when i moved to the uk with what I thought was great English, right? And, uh, you know, it was. But, you know, there were still times where I had no idea what people were on about, basically. <laughs> like, uh, just in Stoke-on-Trent, you know, I lived there in the north of, of England for a while. And it's not that they have a, a very thick accent. It's just they have, they use a lot of different words and slang yeah. that I've never heard before. So I was honestly confused quite often. And it takes it takes a while for the brain and, and ears to kind of calibrate yeah. to this new uh, new way of English. So even if you are amazing at a language and you move to a place, uh, I guess even with something like uh, French, you learn uh, uh, Parisian French or whatever, then you move to Montreal and it's completely different. And you're like, what? <laughs> I thought I was yeah. good at this thing. You have to um, tune in to the yeah, dialects or whatever. Ex exactly. But the... Uh, you know, the challenge for me was always I moved on a bit of a whim. You know, I didn't, I was living in Hungary for a while. I had no idea I was going to move to Hungary. Actually, I was on my way to Germany. And then I was mm. like, you know, I kind of like it here. So I just stayed there for 18 months. And so I came with nothing. I didn't even know the word for like, yes and no, you know? Oh, wow. Um, And I just found that dealing with the kind of stressors of moving like uh making friends uh the bureaucracy and paperwork and just that and of course you still have to make money you know run your business and run your your income generating activities mm. you know that doesn't go away and i just found the the whole learning the language on top of all that 
to be very, very, very difficult. It was very stressful and it felt almost like hopeless because, you know, to, to get to a high enough level to actually use it, it would take a, so much time. Mm. But because of all the other things, it felt overwhelming. But um, I mean, my advice, of course, is uh, that people prepare for moves <laughs> and not. <laughs> yeah. you know? A thing that you can tell that's where you're going. Yeah. That's like the main prepare. advice. But, but let's assume that, uh, that <laughs> um, you know, either they're going in a year, either or they're going now. You know, what are some of the things that you would recommend people do maybe when they get there? Or, or, or you know, how do you get the most benefit and in terms of integration? And, you know, because... Yeah, most people have no idea what that experience is like. And it's good. It's good to be ignorant, I think, in some ways, because maybe if, if you knew too much, you wouldn't go. <laughs> um, but that said, you don't want to be too cocksure. You know, you don't want to be too confident in yourself, especially if you especially if you don't know the, the language. So I think it's always good to get some basics down, isn't it, before you before you go and that that definitely having one of those pillars like you mentioned kind of you know there's work there's life and there's the language so before I came to France I had the language you know good enough down that I, w I wasn't yeah. worried about speaking French I'm just motivated to improve it so obviously that helps in every single situation because everything I did every administrative thing I had to do or every um I suppose there's a lot of admin, isn't there, when you move abroad and especially that's, in that's France. It, yeah. So every document people gave me, everything people explained to me, I could understand it or I could ask the questions that I needed to to ensure that I did it right. And it is a bit scary in France. You do worry about filling out the wrong thing or making a mistake. Um, and I've got quite good over the years at handling administrative issues and stuff like this. So um, it can be it can be learned but obviously if you need somebody to to hold your hand through all that I think that is quite hard so mm. um, yeah probably if you don't know the language very well you probably will need some kind of support and I guess with the boom like you say in expatriation over the last 10 years I think there are more and more people out there who help expats who um, I've seen sort of coaching services and I'm sure there are people who do the administrative bit as mm. well with you. So maybe, yeah, like seek out people who can help or seek out people who have already made the move before you, who I'm sure would be happy to help you. Um, and again, this is so much easier with the internet because when I moved to France in 2007, um, there was less online stuff. And I also live in a place where there's not, um there are it is quite international actually in a way because we have a big French language school here and yeah there are definitely a lot of people coming and going to learn French here but in terms of expat communities um yeah there isn't really a British one that's what I wanted to say I don't mm. know for other nationalities there there actually can be um some surprising nationalities where there's a lot of people uh, here but yeah in terms of British like a lot of the British people are in the west of France and that suits me fine I didn't come here to meet other British people right. so I don't I don't mind however other people might like to find an expat community where they're moving to who can help them and I think that can be a good thing to seek out the only thing I looked for before I moved to France was I started looking up um, apartments online 
in the petites annonces, you know, like the online classified mm-hmm. ads. Because we did have that in 2007. It wasn't entirely the dark ages. <laughs> so <laughs> there's all kinds of things. Like, cause I And I was in contact with a guy who had a room he was renting in, in his apartment. And I was emailing him. And I actually went to see the apartment when I arrived. So that was quite good to have set that up before. So I already had mm. a possibility for a, for digs, for a room to, to rent when I, when I got here. So yeah. that definitely, and I didn't end up living there, but it was a, a good experience to, you know, check out that apartment and and um, have organized that before. So you didn't have any uh, any fear of using your French when you when you first got there. No, no, and I didn't really, you know, obviously my the way I spoke is not as good as it is now. My accent wasn't was much stronger, you know, but I didn't care. I just um, I could ob- I could be understood, so it really wasn't an issue. So I could yeah. do everything I needed to do. So that that is a real, I mean, everything was more laborious then, you know. Sure. Um, but it could all get done. Everything could get done in French, which was great. Yeah, I thought that was the kind of one of the big hurdles for me was that as you're learning the language, especially if you come to the the country with, let's say, a less of a, a level, I, I found that it was quite intimidating at times to to practice, which is the essential way mm. to kind of improve and and you know internalize the what you learn is to go out and use it right so i would say with the with the kind of expert communities the the risk there is that you end up speaking only english or whatever your yeah. your group is, is is speaking uh because that's it's such an easy thing a natural thing to do you know you meet up oh, with yeah. people who have the same background with the same culture uh same preferences probably for most things and you meet up you're not going to be speaking french to your your english friends in that scenario well no it would be uh, weird and yeah like i weird. said i ended up living with two english speakers and in the end it was the right decision because the following year um i got two new flatmates and one of them was irish but the other one was french and the french one was kind of persuaded that she was going to speak to us in english but our French was better than her English. Mm. So we ended up speaking in French, which was a really, really big help. And then she stayed on the second year and a British friend joined us. But again, our French was better or, you know, we were happier to speak in French. It was, this person is still my my really good friend today. Her English is actually good, but you know, back then it was maybe harder for her. So, and it was the same thing when I met my partner, we just started speaking in French because I met him after two years here. So I was, you know, doing even better. And so it just made sense to speak in French. His English is actually really good. He learned a lot of his English listening to comedy podcasts. So like that, they're not easy to understand. But but again, I like, I was the one who was better. (laughs) That doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) But but honestly, if one person is is better at the language and, and more at ease, because people, you know, it's a real cliche, isn't it, to say, like, just meet a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you're into, and then they'll teach you the language. I don't think that works if you have right. a, a, if they speak your language and you don't have a good level, how's that going to work? Explain to me how that works. Yeah, I don't believe in that at all. I think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I also see uh, posts uh, on social media, but people asking, you know, I want to I want to learn my partner's language 
and they ask for advice and some people say well why don't you just talk to the your partner in the language and it's like he he or she is not your teacher you know exactly the, and especially if so if someone isn't a teacher they're gonna get impatient they're gonna get annoyed with you it's gonna, gonna... It's, it's basically gonna ruin the relationship yeah. because it's <laughs> like it's putting some kind of work on the relationship and it's like mm. Hmm. teach me for free oh yeah and you're, you're not a teacher but adapt you know, now if, if anyone's listening and and you you ask your partner to teach you their language stop doing that that's that's a terrible idea you know it's just yeah. you know, and, use and, what you can and, and, and do what you can but learn with a with an actual tutor or teacher you know, online exactly or in, uh, school you know yeah exactly make make that investment and and do it right and take it take it outside the home yeah um that's what because um, it's 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 you know, you know, if you've met people who are, let's say, at a very low level in the language, it's a very kind of, it takes a lot of patience to have a conversation yeah. in your native language at that level. You know, it's not because you're, you don't appreciate the effort. It's just like, you know, if, at least teachers get paid for that patience, you know. <laughs> and quite right. You know, it, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill to um, help somebody and, and listen to them when, when they're at that level. Yeah, you know, I've gone to a few of the uh, the, the language conferences uh, over the years, and there's a lot of people come up to me and they speak a bit in Danish, you know, and they they're excited about it. And I, I try to be encouraging, you know, but I also don't. I'd like to have like a meaningful conversation <laughs> in an hour, not like five words, you know. Um, yeah. So so in that case, I think with the relationship, yeah, definitely don't don't put that on the on the partner i think that's that's a personal responsibility yeah um but of course use as much as you can whenever it actually makes sense in the situation you know oh yeah that doesn't mean that yeah you can never you can never speak <laughs> yeah. it, but yeah obviously like obviously then there will be opportunities then from there once you've got the support of a teacher and you can try things out with your partner and that could be quite fun yeah um, absolutely and, and uh, it can grow from there but it, it sounds like you had a a really good level and i think the also from my experience i think the kind of general advice for expats is just prepare really well and if you know you're moving in like a year that's oh, a yeah. long time to that's, to get good at the language um if you set up like a weekly tutoring lesson find a few apps that you like you know put in a a 20 minute app time a day and just you'd be shocked at how much you can learn in a year uh, with just some some dedication so yeah and that, then when you get there you're not going to have the problems that i've been having which is like i mentioned in, in hungary where i knew nothing <laughs> which meant that you know i was socializing with some of the expats and i was learning a little bit but because of all the all the admin and kind of all the other things to worry about in life i uh, didn't do as much learning as i should also hungarian is like the most impossible language ever i was going to say understand. like that's like the worst <laughs> yeah it really the worst, is i mean like the, no offense to hungarians but i think they're perfectly aware that their language is very challenging no i think it's 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 not an offense it's the contrary i mean hungarian people are geniuses clearly like, and i also <laughs> think they invented almost everything so um that the name is, of their country isn't even hungry what do they call it something with beginning with my, M. Uh, my um uh, yeah it's the 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 major country it's like Finnish people. They call it Suomi. No, it's, yeah, exactly, it's Finland, yeah. guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, become international. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I love I love the I love the Hungarian language. I really do. But it's it's all it's not very practical. You know, it's it's more of a 
have more of a, a fascination with it rather than a an actual practical need and and living in budapest is such an international city yeah you know because of the tourism and and it's also quite popular for expats so you don't really need hungarian uh, mm. obviously if you're going to live there forever you know you definitely should learn it it is fascinating and actually just yesterday uh, i have some hungarian friends on facebook and i occasionally see a facebook message and i'm quite excited after all these years you know i haven't been there in maybe eight years that i still know some words and re- remember some some phrases and and some so it's not totally hopeless uh what i did you know it, it was very good but in a, in an ideal world i would have prepared for for that move and i would have come there with the basics maybe being able to introduce yeah. myself order food in a restaurant and and then you can grow and build on that that's much easier than starting with a complete zero yeah even if you came you go somewhere with like an a2 level yeah, that's yeah. oh such yeah a, absolutely a great foundation and and once you're immersed you're just gonna skyrocket right like if you if you really take the time to to build on that foundation yeah and and like i said it's really not that difficult if you just put in a, a committed effort uh, like a year before you could be so like uh, so good in hungarian in any language it doesn't matter mm. the thing that happens is and this is a kind of a a common problem in in in, in language learning is that we i mean i said a year which is probably not the best way to do it but we shouldn't count the years it should we should count like the hours yes yeah which definitely. is a so when i say spend a year i'm really saying spend maybe an hour or two a week that's really the the key i think yeah, and maybe of course if you can do more that's great but you know for me if you can do two hours a week you'll be very good in a year i mean that's that's uh 700 hours over 700 hours uh, wow a year and i remember my german classes in school i thought i'd had german for you know thousands and thousands of hours but if you account for weekends and and holidays and the fact that we only had like maybe four four classes uh, a week which are 45 minutes each at the end i think i tallied up about six seven hundred hours and that was like oh, wow. eight years oh my god yeah, yeah wow. it's really not that much so if you as an individual take the initiative you sit at home and you find the good resources you find a good tutor or teacher uh to have private lessons with again which is much more effective than classroom lessons mm. um you know a year is really or let, like i said two two hours a week for a year is it's like yeah i i i I think you could maybe even pass things like the b1 exam which is enough for a residency in many places in france you can I got French nationality last year. They only ask for B1. Yeah, same in Portugal. So I think that's very doable uh, in an ideal world. Uh, of course, if you do end up like me, uh, <laughs> making rash decisions and you know uh, just moving abroad out of the blue, then it is much harder. But try still to stay consistent and, and try to find a teacher. And the best is to have a teacher in the country that you can meet up with, maybe in a coffee shop. Oh, yeah, shop that's, or, a good, that's a good tip. I, I was going to add, like, finding people where you are who are from the country you want to go to. But I do have a horror story. So <laughs> okay. uh, one of my friends from uni, she got the job that I had had here in Besançon. And then she came the following year. And after a couple of years in France, she decided to move with her French boyfriend to Spain. 
and they went and lived in Seville and uh -huh. it turned out at the time that we were teaching at the university there was a Spanish teacher Pablo I think I'm not just sh saying a random Spanish name I think that was his name and this guy like he was gorgeous. He looked like a Calvin Klein underwear model. <laughs> so you'd be inclined to trust what he said because you're like, this man is so beautiful. He must be right. So it turned out he was from Seville. And so they went and spoke to him thinking, oh, well, maybe he can give us, us some good advice about, you know, where to live, what to go and see, how to, you know, just all the insider info on Seville, right? And so they actually ended up moving to the area of Seville where he had grown up. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this was just from talking to him or if there were other reasons that they decided to live in that particular area of the town, but it, it, it turned into a complete nightmare. Um, like, cause they were like, you know, maybe he was talking to us about it through, you know, the rose tinted spectacles of, of his childhood. Mm. And he remembered it really fondly. And they were like, it's a shithole where he, where he, grew. <laughs> he was, they were like, there was noise all the time, dogs barking, people shout, like, it was just a complete um, nightmare. I mean, really, really, really bad. I don't know which part of Seville it is, but yeah, it, 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 it just was not, it did not suit them. So, I mean, they ended up moving, but they, they had a really rough time um, the, the first year. So I think it can be interesting to find people, you know, where you are now, find the people from the country you're moving to. But, but you know, they're not God. You know, they don't know everything about everything about right. their country. They only have their experience. And maybe they haven't lived there for a while. Like, I wouldn't ask me about moving to the UK. I haven't lived there for 16 years. And I, I go back. My parents are there. My family are there. But I'm not actually in the country. And things have changed. And yeah, I, it's funny. I, I would say that that when I hear people moving to Denmark and um, actually had a, a, a contact just said that uh, she's moving to Copenhagen. Actually, she just moved there. I, I feel like there's sort of a patriotic duty to be positive about it, you know, but on the other hand, I'm also I also feel inclined to kind of not give people too high expectations you know it's only the happiest country on earth chris well, don't you know don't you I mean, keep up with <laughs> your huga and your whatever danish stuff is cool at the moment yeah i mean denmark is great i i i don't mind it i'm i'm very fortunate and and uh blessed to have been born in in such a great country you know and copenhagen is is, is wonderful but even that i mean that's the patriotic duty coming again but then I, I have to like say, oh, but it's very expensive and, you know, people are very uh, isolated that it's kind of hard to make uh, deep contacts and, or, you know, close friends. Mm. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot happening in the winter, to be honest. Like, Even Legoland is closed. I don't know if that's true, actually. It is, yeah, yeah. All the theme <gasps> You're parks. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> well, the, I love I, Legoland. I they have, um, <laughs> yeah, they have a little period where they're, they're closed. I think they open for like uh, Halloween and Christmas. But all right. the theme parks in Denmark have a, a pretty long uh, off season, yeah, where they're not open. And uh, so, but the, the, the bigger uh kind of impact to that for me is like the the culture you basically don't go out for you know maybe six months i mean you can 
it's just uh, you just go to work, you come home, and I mean, it's very there's a lot of hygge at home. You know, you you mentioned yeah. that. Then you get your hygge on and you wear yeah, cozy yeah, socks absolutely. by but, the fire. <laughs> but I like I like I'm more connected to where I live now in Portugal, where even in November people are sitting outside having a coffee, having a beer, eating a meal. You know, there's a lot of activity all the time. Yeah, like it's kind of consistent throughout the year. And if you want to hang out with your friends, you know, you do that whatever time of year it is. Whereas most of Denmark, I mean, you might see your family, you know, but going out with friends is probably like a monthly thing, maybe less. Mm. <clears throat> also because it's so expensive, right? If you're paying, you know, a, a, a coffee and a sandwich at a Starbucks like place would be like 20 euros, right? So what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty mad at times. So, you know, going out, for a, a, you know at a restaurant at, at night it's hard to do for less than 100 euros so there's a natural kind of limit for 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 that as well so people many people just simply can't afford going out all the time like they can here where you can get mm. a coffee for 90 cents and oh yeah you know, meal of the day for six euros you know with which is a is an absolute bargain you get a soup and a, a some kind of main and a, and a coffee and a water you know for six euros so Wow. That brings out more people, even when you take into account the difference in, in earning standards, of course. People earn less money here, but also the taxes in Denmark are much higher. So when it comes to like disposable income relative to the cost, I think it's much better here. And that brings out people. Um, so, but I, I like it. I mean, I go back all the time and I just make sure to save up a bit of money before I go. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so you're not, like, shocked, like, 10 euros, please, for a coffee. What? Oh, it is, oh, it is mad. Like, I, I think that happened, like, uh, four months after living abroad. You know, it's like you come home and suddenly everything is a culture shock, reverse culture shock. Reverse culture know? shock, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. so true. And I feel like such a foreigner when I come back, but obviously I'm as Danish as you can be, and I've lived there for some 20 five years of my life you know so it's uh, I'm, I'm i'm so danish i'm just not i don't know i'm just not in the in it every day and and i just you kind of lose it if you, for, uh, you forget something but yeah i remember that about a few years ago i went we went to lisbon with my um partner and um because we went to the les Açores, um I can't pronounce it the Portuguese way, and so you have to go through Lisbon. The Açores. And yeah, yeah, the Açores, or yeah, they pronounce their, their amazing place. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, and we went. You have to go through Lisbon, and when we were in Lisbon, yeah, like we're just there for a few days, and every day we would go to the little kiosk in the square near us, and we would have a coffee and sit on the tables at the tables with everybody and yeah it was super cheap so you could happily do that every day and just enjoy being outside and it was like september october and obviously it was still really warm yeah so there was no issue with that different in les Açores, i'll say it the french way because that's how i know to how to say that that's quite a damp place but very beautiful yeah um, it's like the green the green islands they call it it's it's very uh, beautiful nature out there yeah, it's and, green uh, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it rains like uh, half the year there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's really good. And and, and I think that's what I would uh, kind of end this, uh, I guess, cautionary tale with is that once you do start to get into integrated, which is in a term, in a, in a language perspective, I mean, 
integration is a big thing, but once you start to be able to communicate with people around you and you could even a smaller task is just ordering your daily coffee in the language, your life just improves dramatically, which mm. sounds, which sounds kind of like sensationalist, but it is true because you suddenly, I don't know. I don't know why that is, but it's just, it, everything gets so much better. Like even the way people kind of talk to you and kind of, you know, when you talk that there's that old quote by Mandela that everyone says all the time, like uh, talk to a man in a language he understands and it goes to his head, talk to a man in language, in his language and it goes to his heart. Yeah. And that is so true. Like you, the Portuguese are some of the nicest people in the world. And if you speak English to them and they understand and speak it themselves, you have no problem conducting any transaction and and they won't they're not going to get mad at you i mean i've heard some horror stories about they have a good level of english as well oh yeah very very high um mm. if they if they speak it then it's usually very good um i've heard some horror stories about the 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 kind of french in terms of foreign languages i'll let you share your experiences with that in a, in a second but the point is that if you speak portuguese to them they just light up it's, it's totally different like you know and and that's not a dig on on them or anyone who does that i i do that myself i'm sure when people speak my language to me and so if you are an expat or a potential future expat if the language for me is not only essential it's like a life upgrade like it's a it's almost mm. like a superpower where you like you can improve your life and other other that this is the other thing that people don't talk about you actually improve the lives of others with this too because a lot of times people was obviously they know you're a foreigner usually in the, especially in the early days because you have an accent or you look different or whatever um but and, and so when you actually make an effort to speak their language it's like a it's like a, a respectful thing to do right so they appreciate it so you have a positive footprint around you instead of the kind of i speak english you know uh submit to uh to my uh, <laughs> you know my language um so that's what i would recommend just use it whenever you can and and you'll really see a big difference in people um yeah but in, in i've heard the, that the, if you speak uh let's say well, actually I, I do have a french story i was in the the south of france and i wasn't very old but i had a bit of uh french in school and I went into a bakery and I think I said something. I mean, I haven't spoken French in years, but I was saying, uh, croissant, s'il vous plaît, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this, uh, I think she was like a teenager behind the counter. And she was like, it is pronounced croissant. <laughs> and I was like, okay, way to shut a guy down, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, getting uh, told off. Yeah, that was like somebody. A, Always to be fun. fair, it was in the middle of nowhere, uh, up a up a mountain or up a hill, in a little village. So you know, it wasn't. I'm sure it's not like a symbolic for the whole country, but that was my little experience, and and it really hurt me because it's like I'm trying here, you know, get cut me some slack. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of a French um, attitude. We don't like to generalize, but um, yeah, they can be a bit. Um, precious about about their language their language but even French people will say that like um I've got a colleague an old colleague from the university here his wife is Italian so he um he's learned Italian you know they're living in France together but he learned Italian to obviously 
obviously be able to communicate more easily with her her family and everything and he was like oh gosh they're so encouraging Italians like you only speak a tiny bit and they treat you like you know you're fluent and they're so nice about it and he was like French people aren't like that (laughs) and he's French so I'm always like if French people insult themselves about you know something (laughs) you've noticed then you're like okay I can I can say this you know it's people recognize themselves in it yeah yeah I I mean there's nothing um I, I don't see any uh, kind of uh, there's no hate in there at all. It's just a, uh, it's just kind of funny when you and and then I speak to people from like, you know, uh, Russian speakers or uh, I've seen it with uh, with uh, people learning Asian languages. You say like four words that vaguely resemble a sentence, and you get praised as like the new mm. the new uh, savior of the universe. You know, it's like <laughs> how amazing that you did that. So it's kind of funny that there are different levels and sometimes people switch to english immediately as well which can be de- uh kind of a deterrence but that's a bit that's a bit rude that's a bit rude yeah it's it's situational isn't it it's mm. like um in denmark it happens a lot but i think it's because danish people are so good at english that they see it as kind of a service to the speaker well like, yeah yeah i can imagine yeah if like, someone is struggling yeah yeah so it's not it's not it's not it's not because the, they're getting the judging your level it's just that they see it as more convenient to help you out and mm. especially if it's like in a busy restaurant or coffee shop or something i mean it and this is another thing like you shouldn't in my opinion you shouldn't like use people who are working a normal random job yeah as teachers either no so no, no. if you're in a busy coffee shop in copenhagen let's say and you really want to practice your danish maybe just you know be aware of the situation and just be like okay maybe it's easier just to say it in english and you know the poor girl behind the counter doesn't need to hear you stammer through like you know, <laughs> a, a five-hour uh, sentence of, of of one coffee you know if it's a quiet cafe in the middle of nowhere a taxi driver or something you know go Why ahead not? you know yeah whatever but I, I see this is also something that i see is people talk about practicing with the the wait staff and things like that and it's not their job to help you learn the language but no. so to just be aware of that and, and have some respect in terms of yeah the... choose, choose your moment yeah the, another opportunity is going to come and like you say um you won't always be in the busy stressful environment there's gonna there's gonna be times where it's quiet and you're gonna have an amazing conversation with somebody because you know it's not a busy day and they're they're happy to talk to you but a lot of the time you know it's work it's busy it's stressful people just aren't available are they so yeah exactly but some people still expect them to be because it's like oh i'm learning their language you know i should i should have a right almost to practice with them and it's (laughs) with whoever i want whenever i want yeah yeah, and it's like that's (laughs) it's just not a thing you know and if you're holding up a queue of 40 people because you are struggling to find the word for coffee then you know maybe just wait a little <laughs> bit and you know, come back when you know with... the word for coffee maybe yeah yeah i mean also that is one of the most universal words isn't it i think it's pretty much cafe or coffee anywhere in the world isn't it <laughs> i imagine probably apart from in hungary or finland no no i think uh, really <laughs> hungary is also cafe i think i'm pretty sure yeah okay yeah, oh, i learned I think... a hungarian word there you go yeah yeah and they <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure maybe i'm gonna get a lot of angry emails from hungarians saying that uh, there's no way how dare you but i think it's, it's like it's a completely different word 
yeah but that does happen sometimes as well you like you see those graphics on an instagram or somewhere where it's like every country is the same except <laughs> one country <laughs> that decided that like uh, and uh, you know pineapple is the one example i always think of like everywhere in europe is like ananas or anana and right. then and then in or pina in uh, i think i think that might be latin american spanish but anyway uh, it's like english pineapple <laughs> doesn't make any sense just had to be different yeah but anyway i think um before we close off here i just wanted to also talk a little bit about learning english because i think that's a a really important topic and it's only getting it's only getting bigger really as more people from uh the developing world are getting online you know they say there's something like mm-hmm. i don't remember the number it's a crazy number of people who are getting connected to the internet over the next 10 years for the first time ever uh maybe it could be even in the billions of people who are suddenly exposed to the global world and obviously english being kind of the global language the demand is only going to go it's only going to go up um and in terms of um the you know most people will get to like a good level and maybe basic conversation and maybe professional but do you have any tips for people who want to kind of get to the next level or that idiomatic level that you need for maybe living in the language if that makes any sense yeah no that makes total sense and you know my solution i've talked about was to move to france but i don't think everybody needs to do something as dramatic as move abroad especially given like you say the way technology is advancing and also what can happen when you do move abroad if you meet lots of expats who speak your language you might not actually make much progress anyway so um yeah we can definitely harness those digital tools that are out there so um what i do with my students i have a a movie club so we watch and discuss movies so we we do all the magic of the movies stuff and we have fun talking about them together and then we also use them as tools for actually improving their english because i think um that's where people go wrong when they start immersing themselves in authentic material they just kind of think well by osmosis this is going mm. to teach me all this cool stuff you know whether it's like books or podcasts or movies or youtube videos or whatever it is but you know one of my mottos is that netflix is not your teacher so we've said mm. you know wait at bar staff cafe staff are not your teachers your partner is not your teacher netflix is not your teacher you know you can't always rely on these external things to magically transfer the language into your head because as a language learner you have to do a lot of noticing of things um and and i i would say that's something i've been able to do since moving here is really notice hone in on like the expressions that people use um by paying attention to them and so you know something we do in the the movie club is i get the students to work with film clips and so i i send them bits of the clips to listen to and then write write out to see you know what they manage to catch what they miss um and that's a really like ear opening exercise for them you know whether they learn a new expression or they realize that words they already know are pronounced quite differently um that really helps them tune in more to how how english really sounds and i mm. think this business of actually you know learning okay 
how does it really sound? Because we know that, you know, the, the written version or the careful pronunciation sound very different to, to how it's actually said when people when people speak fast. And I think this is why immersion through listening sometimes doesn't work because there's so much that people miss um, or there's so much encouragement just to like get the gist and move on that you never like go deeper into, okay, well, you know, what is actually going on here in the spoken language? What are people doing to words to make them change? And what cool expressions am I missing out on? Because I can't actually catch them when people say them. So, um, yeah, that to me, that's really important. If you can get that down, if you can, um, you know, train your ears to catch fast mm. speech, you're going to learn so much, you know, by listening. But you can't just listen in order to achieve that. That's the That's the tricky thing. And that's what I try to combine with my students is, you know, watching the movie for pleasure and then coming back and working on clips and doing the detailed listening exercises so they actually learn something from it yeah and and you say that that can't really be done in a passive listening way no no and i'm not saying like only do one or only do the other like you need to you need to combine them so you know i don't give them the the listening exercises first they they watch the movie first because our, our goal is also watch the movie enjoy it start talking about it that's a big part of it because they love watching movies and so do i so we have to have that we have to have the fun part but then we also have to have the serious business as well so that they you know they come away learning something yeah that that's kind of the winning combination is the uh some immersion or a kind of a you know you get in there and then you study it or discuss it or basically spend time i guess you reflect on what you've seen and, and yeah de definitely yeah because because yeah they've, they've said to me before that like you know if you just watch a movie once on your own like it's nice and it's fun but you don't really kind of go into it in a in a deeper way but when you discuss it with others and you I always give them stuff as well to like go off and read more about the movie, read reviews, watch video essays on YouTube. There's so much interesting content about movies and that also allows you to go deeper into the the layers along with talking to mm. other people who notice different things than you. Like, I'm amazed by what my students notice. I mean, they're geniuses. Like there's stuff I'm like, what? That, that <laughs> happened in the movie? Like you noticed that? I've never noticed that. What? And um yeah, I don't know what point I was trying I was trying to make, but um, yeah, th this idea that when you watch it by yourself, you're like, that was nice, move on to the next thing. But when you actually take the time to to watch it with the intention as well of discussing it with others, which which motivates you to go deeper because you're like, well, I need to be able to say something about this, otherwise, like you know, people are expecting me to have an opinion. So that 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 helps you dive mm. deeper into it. I've really noticed that with myself as well. I mean, there's stuff now about movies that I, I'm just like, I can't believe I didn't notice that. And I'm learning so much as well. Yeah, and that's kind of like, uh, you know, you're mimicking real life there as well with the with the teaching because one of the things that you probably, that probably everyone does with their friends is talk about what they've seen, right? Like, yeah. did you see the, did you see the new John Wick movie? <laughs> well, so yeah, having... no, it's it's natural, yeah. Yeah, so having that practice and the the kind of practical uh, vocabulary there is uh, is helping not only your your kind of uh, you know your your learning, your studying, but it's it's also something that you can immediately use 
out and about, you know, outside the the study, uh, you know, classroom, the virtual classroom, as it were. Yeah, yeah, just uh, the, yeah, the number of times that people talk about TV shows just in sort of small talk settings or at work, like, did you see whatever? I don't know, when I think of the UK, I'm like, oh, people must be asking each other, did you see Love Island the other night? I've mm-hmm. never watched the UK version of Love Island. They, ha- they have a lot of trashy reality TV in France as well. But yeah, there's certain like TV shows or movies that are cultural touchstones that people, you yeah. know, they talk and, about and, them and the movies and the and the tv also creates the language mm. so you have idioms and and phrases and things like that 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 came from something cultural like a, a tv show or a, a movie so if you have no knowledge of the of the, the kind of source then sometimes even having a normal discussion or a conversation can be can be tricky as well because you're just as fluent as you can be linguistically culturally you might be missing there might be gaps some some pieces yeah it's funny I was um talking to a a Danish guy the other day as part of my story learning job because I had to hire some Danish writers for blog content and um I mentioned that I was Scottish I think I was mentioning you know I'm also from a small northern European country I'm Scottish and um because we were talking about Denmark and and uh yeah he was telling me how um the series Taggart is popular in Denmark. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I oh. think we translated the title though, or we. Oh, really? This is one of my biggest pet peeves, but it's so annoying when countries and Denmark is especially bad at this. Portugal does it as well. They will translate. They will change the title of things. Oh. Um. So, I I I'm not sure. Let's see uh, if I can. Maybe it's called like mur- mur- murders in Glasgow or something like that. In you know, but yeah, he just, maybe, he, yeah, maybe he, that's an exception. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, you, you know, you you'll be like people are talking about a TV show or a, or um or you know a movie. Uh, one example I can give just uh, to illustrate is like um, Faulty Towers. Uh-huh. In Denmark, that was called uh, like um, fun at the beach hotel. I'm not sure if they're having fun. All these people in this yeah, hotel. Yeah, well, hate, or I mean, the, hate it, working together, hate the hotel, hate the staff, hate the customers. Yeah, the word I'm not that, sure it's fun. The word that they they use in um, in Danish is it's not really translatable, but it, it's it means something like craziness, fun, uh, chaos. Cra- craziness or, is probably cl- cl- closer. Yeah, yeah but, it's a um, really Danish word. Um, oh, okay, but, uh, okay. So it's hard to translate back. Or, into I mean, English. maybe it means more like hi. Like uh, <laughs> hey hey on in, in the beach. I mean, there you go. I mean, I, I respect the translation as a as an industry. I just yeah. think for films and, and TV, you have to preserve the, the title because otherwise, like when you're talking to people, you have no idea what the movie is. Yeah, because sometimes uh, they're they're very they're very different. Yeah, that happens in French. But yeah, just to come back to Tagger, yeah, he just he quoted the line from me, There's been a murder, which is the famous line from Tagger right. because it is about people investigating homicides and it all happens in Glasgow. Um, so that just made me laugh. That's like a cross-cultural reference. That's like the power of Taggart. Yeah. Um, well, many people, people know it. In, 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 yeah. in Denmark. They watch all mm. that stuff a lot. And they also produce some of the themselves. You know, the Scandi Noir is very popular in England. Yeah, it's popular. Or in mm. Britain. So it's it kind of goes uh, both ways. But it is, it is, a, it is a more 
natural language, I guess, rather than the textbook language that you learn. So oh, yeah, you yeah. Learn from context and and uh, you know, I, I guess there's some traps there too. I mean, you don't want to necessarily take on vocabulary of every movie character. You know, if you, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> you're watching yeah, some of it's some dodgy more... stuff. <laughs> Yeah, some of it's more useful than than others, but I mean that's also what I'm I'm there to sort of help guide my students with, and I will point out when things are particularly useful. But yeah, we have watched some period dramas, mm. and those are really cool, and you can have great discussions. But some of some of the language will, will be useful, but some of it is completely completely outdated, and in some cases the meanings of words have changed over time. So. Um, yeah, yeah de- depending on the dialogue, it, it, it can be more or less useful. Yeah, I, I think there's some there's some real dangers there. If you're, I, I heard someone was, I think it was actually our, our mutual friend John who was talking about here how he learned Japanese, but from a female perspective. So oh. when he started talking it, it, everyone was like, "You speak very good Japanese, but you sound like you're a woman." and he's like oh i didn't know because obviously there's a difference depending on on who you are so i guess that could happen if you're watching like a movie you kind of take on the the vocabulary or or the 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 grammar from some other group or i don't know you're watching i don't know peaky blinders or something you start talking Mm -hmm. like a a Birmingham gangster from the last century. <laughs> Respect to anyone who's watching Peaky Blinders. That's not that's not easy. Oh yeah, not at all. And and the funny thing is that it, there's still people that talk a lot like that in, <laughs> in the north. You know, maybe some of the words have been changed, but the kind of very heavy accent is definitely still there. Mm. So that can be a challenge for English learners as well when they come to like me when I went to Stoke in in England and. The first thing I went into a bakery and the woman who said, uh, hello, duck. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> and I asked a friend, this is how ignorant I was of it. I asked a friend, like, what, do, what does dog stand for? I thought it was like some some uh, abbreviation or something, you know. Oh. But she was like, no, it, or a slang, you know. I was like, what does it mean? And she was like, no, they literally mean duck, like the bird. It's like a, you know. But in- it's a term in- of endearment. It, yes, and confusion, you know, uh, confusion. <laughs> but but for- yeah, when you when you move to the UK, your name becomes pet, love, duck. Yeah. Uh, At- boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, mate, mate. Mate, well, if, yeah. you're a, if you're More if you're a man, but yeah, love, duck, ducky. Yeah. Hen, hen in Scotland, hen. Right, yeah, right, I heard that. In, you're right, hen. Do I, I know that. you? No, but you're hen to me because I don't know your name. I'm just going to call you hen. And Are you a hen? No. If, <laughs> am I? I mean, it turns into like a, it's like, um, a debate on, on life and, and everything. But um, I think that this is something that doesn't get discussed a lot in like the textbooks and things that you get there mm. and you can have an amazing level and there will still be things that trip you up and they'll still be oh, confused yeah. um and also there will be gaps in your vocabulary that you didn't know you had yeah like when i moved to london i spoke english much like i speak it now maybe i was a little bit worse but i go, went into a pub and i i said um could i have uh i just have fish and chips please and he's like, place? And I'm like, I'm sitting over there by the window. 
you know, it's, it sounds like a joke, but I, that, that actually happened. It sounds like <laughs> a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, but, and, you know, sometimes one's life does seem like a comedy skit. But for those who don't know, as I didn't, plays is a type of fish, apparently. Uh, so usually you'd have cod, which is the normal kind of fish and chips fish, which mm. I did know. Uh, I'd never heard of place before, but that's apparently a, a type of flatfish that uh, is used with uh, to make fish and chips sometimes. So, you know, you can think yourself to be as uh, as as fluent or as good as you are, and there will always be times where you you're made to feel like you're starting all over again. The, the language will kick your ass. Yeah. And that, be prepared for that. And, and you know, sometimes you can also laugh at it, you know, and I find that to be a very good quality as a learner to be very humble. And, and you know, if you do make a funny mistake, you know, just have fun with it. And, you know, I, I think some words that are very useful to learn that don't get a lot of attention usually is things like, um, can I try in language or um oh. at least i tried or something you know just to kind of break the ice with the native speaker if there's uh mm. if you're not like at a really high level and just make some jokes about yourself and things like that people love that stuff so that's exactly. a, a way to do it um but in terms of the the english uh kind of well i guess it applies to all languages really you want to have contact you want to have immersion uh, in some sense with the watching TV movies, um, try to watch the. I guess that teaches you about culture too. Yeah, watch, it can. It can. Because that's also part of the the equation. And uh, yeah, so I think that's uh, we've come to the end of our little discussion today. But before we end, I just wanted to give uh, people an opportunity to where they can find out more about you and the uh, the movie club and all the other things you do obviously people will be listening to this episode at all all times of uh, the year in the future hopefully so so if you have any kind of uh, links that people can go to to find out if the uh, if the club is on or if any other things are on uh, we'd appreciate that cool yeah um so the main place where everything is is my website so that's leo-listening.com so there you'll find my blog, yeah, links to find out more about the movie club, my free guide, understand movies in English, all that cool stuff. And then in terms of places elsewhere on the internet where you can find me, I've been posting a lot on LinkedIn. We talked about this before we started recording. So I've been playing with that, posting some some. I want to say wisdom, it sounds very pretentious, but some words, some words about listening and learning with movies and living abroad and all that kind of stuff. So you can follow me on there. You could just find me by my name, which is Cara Leopold, and I think I'm the only one. That's quite an unusual <laughs> name, isn't it? It's a and, lovely uh, name. Thank you. Thank you. It's my name. I'm proud yeah, of it. I love Leopold. It's a, it's a great, uh, great historical name, you know. It's, it's, I don't know why that's my name, but it's my name. I don't know the history behind why I'm called that, but uh, somebody somewhere was Belgian once or something. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> or something. Yeah, or something. I don't, it's not a very Scottish name in any case, that's for sure. And um, yeah, and I'm hoping to revive my YouTube channel this year, and that is Leo, Leo Listening as well. So if you search for that on YouTube, you, you shall find it. 
Wonderful. And uh, I think just to round off uh, everything, I, I think listening in general is one of the most underrated activities you can do as a language learner. We talk a lot about you know, doing flashcards, doing textbooks, uh, podcasts, like active learning. Hmm. I think, you know, active listening, just getting a lot of input, especially of in areas that you are interested in, whether it's, uh, you know, ex- uh, fitness or finances or uh, hobbies, whatever your kind of interests are, getting some some listening from that, whether it's a a, a movie or a show or even a, a thematic podcast. I think it really helps uh, in so many ways, not just for the mm. vocabulary and the cultural understanding, but it also helps shape your pronunciation, which is a oh, lot yeah. of, that's very unusual. I think a lot of people don't really, don't really talk about that, but it really does help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can tell the people who've been doing the most listening uh, and more listening than speaking in some cases. Yeah. Just because they'll they have, can a, have a great accent. Uh, yeah. So I think that's definitely um, definitely a, a big top tip that I didn't know for from the beginning. I always thought that your language was mainly built by active activities and not yeah, pro- uh, kind producing of producing it. Yeah, or yeah. like working through a textbook, you know, quizzes mm. and things like that, or even, you know, talking. But I think that talking is more about kind of affirming what you already know and practicing what True. you know so it, so it solidifies whereas when you do the listening like you mentioned about the movies it's really about that initial input that will help shape the the output later exactly um, so so i think that's great and, and people should definitely go check out check that out um but until in the meantime thank you so much Cara, for being on the actual fluency podcast thank you chris and uh, we'll catch up again in the future great